0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable, because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> All right. How's it going, Matt? It's good. Look, I've I've
1: made a comment about this before, but... We're going to have to do like a video podcast or something so y'all can see how uh, how animated Adam gets in that intro.
0: Yeah, you know, it, <laughs> I don't do it like the rest of the show, but that intro, I've got to, you know, I mean, since we do it, we do it live every time, basically. It's not a recording, so right. I, I've got to get myself into it and go, you know. Yeah, that's so. right. It's all about getting the the energy up at the beginning, you know, and then I can dwindle off by the end of the show and nobody will care.
1: By the end of the show, we're like all leaned back.
0: (laughs) I've got my feet propped up and pants off and it it gets comfy by the end of the show. It's the no pants podcast. There you go. Just don't look below the tables. But speaking of being comfortable, uh, last night there was like a storm that started rolling in and the wind that came with it was just crazy. And I'm sitting on the sofa and I had just finished up doing some last minute research and all that and sitting on the sofa watching TV. The dogs are beside me and the wind picked up and I had some flower pots sitting on the back porch there. Apparently the wind blew those into the back door. And you have never seen me or Dallas move that quick because I thought somebody was trying to get in my house. So I jump up, I grab the first thing that's next to me and it happens to be my knife. And I go like rolling out of the sofa and I flip over on the floor and I jump up and I got this knife in my hand, you know, I go run to the back door and I'm all like, you know, cop breaking down a door. I'm leaned up against the door, peeking out and stuff, you know, just thinking I'm going to have to stab a fool if he comes in my house. It was just flower pots.
1: Adam's out there karate chopping flower pots. Yeah,
0: I was about to, man. I was about to show my judo skills on these flower pots, man. I got a black belt in overreacting, is what it is.
1: (laughs) I have, I have a
0: black belt in underreacting.
1: (laughs) I get woken up. What was that? I. It's the ice maker. Yeah. You know. No, it was. I heard the door. Uh, It's ice maker.
0: Yeah, that's my answer for everything. There's somebody standing <laughs> over your bed. You're like, no, nah, it's ice maker. What's the ice, the ice maker, maker do it in here? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, just, it's the ice maker. Go back to sleep. They're grabbing my ankle. It, it's the ice maker. And that's right. <laughs> so before we get into the show today, got a little business to take care of. The first thing is we got merch. Now we now have a website. Woo-hoo! yeah buddy where you can go get graveyard shirts and mugs and pillows i really seriously got to get me one of those pillows like every time i open the the store to look at it i'm drawn to those pillows because that one the The bones the bones (laughs) logo looks good on that pillow yeah and put it on my sofa that would be great yeah that Um, and the uh and the graveyard tales all nude calendar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't worry.
1: It's not us.
0: No. (laughs) Definitely not us. It's other random people. Right. We got a a ladies and a men's. And so you've got like the Nashville Fire Department.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, wait, don't. No, not the Nashville.
0: No, because they're i know some of those guys never mind
1: because amanda will be ordering them ordering <laughs> two
0: i need one for every room I i'm in
1: i don't i don't need i don't need that
0: yeah i don't need to feel bad about myself <laughs> <laughs> any more than i do uh,
1: i'll be walking around where that little plastic fire hat that you get where the fire right. would come to
0: school right know? and little red <laughs> suspenders and look i look just like that guy no no you don't anyway uh hoodies and all that other stuff and I'll put the link in the description of the show, but it is TTEEpublic.com forward slash user forward slash graveyard. I haven't been able to yet find us by searching for us, so I've got to contact t public about that, but click on the link in the description or type that in tpublic.com forward slash user forward slash graveyard.
1: Yeah, and the links for both of the logos are in the Facebook group. Right. The Graveyard Tales Group. So if you haven't joined yet, go ahead and get in there because that's going to be the easiest way to find our merchandise. You know, if if you're in dire need of a coffee mug,
0: I mean, yeah, and I'm we, sure you are. We got them. Yeah,
1: you know, and and what what better to drink coffee out of than a Graveyard Tales coffee mug?
0: See, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, phone cases, laptop cases, all that good stuff. Yeah. So I got I got two mugs on the way right now. Yeah, I got a mug and a shirt and a few stickers. Yeah. And- But uh, go ahead and hook yourself up with some merch because you know you want some. That's right. Um, But another thing we wanted to talk about, we are, we've mentioned this before, we're going to do a listener story episode. And we want to do it just a tad bit different than the one we did last time. The one last time you emailed us or sent us your story in one way or another and we read it out. We want to get y'all involved. So here's what we want from you guys. We want you to record your story. You can do it on your phone. You can do it on your laptop. However you want to do it, record your story and try to keep it PG-13-ish. You know how the show goes. No big cussing. Don't drop the F-bombs or anything and try to keep it the lewd acts down to a minimum. (laughs) Because if there are a lot of lewd acts, Matt and I will just listen to it, but it won't make it on air. You know, uh, I'm not saying I don't like that stuff. We just can't put it on the air. You know what I'm saying? Just like we've said before, this is not
1: Penthouse Forum.
0: Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so record those and email them to us. And what we're going to do, we're going to compile some of our favorites. And we're going to do an episode where we play your story. And then we'll talk about it afterward. And we'll play several of them. Yeah. Now, if we get more than what can fit in an episode, don't worry. Yours will still get played on air because we will play it at the end of other regular episodes. Yeah. So you'll still be able to hear yourself on graveyard tales. And I think it'll be kind of fun to hear I you guys telling awesome. your story. So go ahead and start working on that and send them to us. We don't have a actual date yet for when we want to do it, but that will give us time to get enough of your stories in.
1: Yeah. Just start, uh, start recording them. And, uh, I think, uh, uh, Adam and I will, uh, we'll later, uh, later on, uh, over the next week, we'll post some tips on how to record yourself to, to get the best quality. Cause if you're using like the old, uh, like a, an, an old, uh, cassette player where you have to hold the play and the record button <laughs> down and right. you're talking into it, it's probably not going to sound as good. Right. Um, and we want to be able to hear you. You you don't have to be like, you know, professional quality, but we just want to make sure that we can hear you, so that when we play your clip, everybody listening can hear you too. Right. So we'll we'll give you some some simple things to to do, to uh, get the best quality of your recording when you're telling your story.
0: Right. Um, that way, like Matt said, that way we can hear you and. If I do any editing or anything on your track, it won't muddy it up too much and it won't compress you too much. Um, So but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to hearing you guys tell your story because it will have a little more meaning and a little more feeling if you guys tell it rather than us trying to tell it for you guys. Um, So. With that being said, Matt. So what was that, Matt? <laughs> I didn't plan that,
1: which which makes it even more creepy. <laughs> um so uh, a listener Rebecca uh I I won't use your last name, but Rebecca she appreciates that. She put a she put a link in the Graveyard Tales group to a story about the uh Amazon Echo. And people have have gone nuts posting about Alexa laughing at them when they're asking her to do something or even just randomly laughing. Now I, I get it. I've got one. I've got one at the house. I can't use it because every time we turn it on, my kids take it over. Um, and, and I can't, I can't hear Alexa play baby got back one more time. <laughs> um, when I'm trying to listen to my news feed, but This is not something I've ever experienced, but apparently uh, over the last two or three weeks, a lot of folks have been experiencing this weird, maniacal laugh when they're asking Alexa to turn off the lights. Right. And what you just heard was an actual recording of somebody asking Alexa to do just that.
0: Why don't you pick the the laptop up, hold it next to the mic, and play it again in case the mic didn't pick it up.
1: All right, so this is uh this is what is happening to uh several people's Amazon Echoes.
0: Alexa, replay. <laughs> Can you imagine you're just doing something like not even paying attention to it. You're doing dishes and all of a sudden you hear that ha 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 yeah. From the other room.
1: Now, having an echo, I know what Alexa's voice sounds like. That's not Alexa's voice. No, it's not. I mean, it's not even close. No. That's really, really weird.
0: So, you know, and,
1: and mine mine will pick up anything that sounds remotely like their keywords. the The thing that causes her to click on and start listening, which is... Alexa. So all you people that have one, it's turned on right now. Right.
0: Hey, Alexa. <laughs> Alexa.
1: <laughs> yeah. Turn off the lights. So now, <laughs> see, now you're all sitting in the dark. Um, but uh, I think Alexa, Echo, or Computer will trigger her to, to light up and listen for a command. Um, if anything, even remotely sounds like that, she'll light up. Now, most of the time she'll light up and then tell you that she can't understand what you said. So or if you she say didn't like, catch that, she doesn't laugh.
0: Right. So if yeah. you say like, I can't
1: say ever I'm laughing.
0: flexing, <laughs> then she'll light up and laugh. Yeah. <laughs> that, that sounds like my life flexing yeah. and a chick laughs at me.
1: So, so here's, here's a tweet from one of the guys that says, I live alone and have lights controlled by Amazon Echo tonight while sleeping. I closed my eyes and said, Alexa, lamp off. I heard a woman laugh and the lights were still on. Now, I know that stupid device heard laugh instead of lamp off, but I can't sleep anymore.
0: <laughs> right. I guarantee you it didn't hear that. It's no, it, it was it didn't just hear laughing that. and saying, Yeah, right, dude, I'm yeah. taking over. That's right. You this know. is
1: this is the future. You ever seen Terminator?
0: Yeah. This, this is here it comes. This is the beginning. Yeah, y'all. Just Alexa's gonna take over. She'll sprout legs eventually, and it reminds me a lot of—I I said this on the Facebook group—but it reminds me of that Simpsons episode where it's a treehouse of horrors, and Pierce Brosnan voices the automated house. Oh yeah, and he—he he hates Homer, and he's in love with Marge, so he tries to kill Homer and you know woo Marge, and this is the start of that. Yeah, you know we're gonna have houses that are gonna try to kill the the wife to marry the husband or vice versa. And it all starts with an Alexa laugh, but we know some people who are gear junkies and they like their Alexa and their Google home and all that. And that's Angelo and Brian. Oh yeah. From double density. And I, I, I would be ashamed for them if they didn't talk about this on the next episode, <laughs> but Angelo yeah i, I got to know your thoughts, and I've got to know if you're keeping your Alexa after this. And same goes for everybody else. Are y'all keeping your Alexa, or are you going to throw it in the trash like a smart person?
1: Angelo, I think the, the biggest question you guys have is, which segment of your show do you talk about this in? Right.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> it fits in both. <laughs> right. I say, uh, since they do have both segments, they just do... The whole show on just the <laughs> creepy Alexa. Right. They just talk about it the whole show, and they give us pointers on how to avoid being eaten by Alexa. That's
1: right. Can be completely destroyed.
0: Right. So, all right, before we get into our topics, our separate topics for tonight, let's take a quick potty break, and let's hear from Black Picket Fence and Our Strange Skies. Hey, Cameron, can I ask you a question? Yeah, Mariel, ask me the question. Do you like nightmares? I like that. Do you like Halloween? Do you like Ancient Bones? Do you like Chainsaw Massacres? Do you like playing video games for seven hours at a time? Do you like Ghouls? Do you like to drink Pepto-Bismol just for the taste? Do you like Sad Boys? Do you like Cat Fancy Magazine? Do you like holding a melting ice cream cone? Do you like the inescapable threat of death? Do you like solving for X? Do you like high-octane thrill rides that push you to the brink of diarrhea? Do you like coughing into your elbow? If you do, please join us on Black Picket Fence. We're a podcast who likes to talk about the things that scare us, embarrassing childhood anecdotes, and drag queens. We discuss our favorite spooky movies, video games, books, TV shows, board games, and more. New episodes are out every Monday morning. (laughs) (laughs) Yours were so good. Yours were very, very good. You did fantastic. (laughs) That's a good ad.
1: What's up, UFOnauts? It's your
0: UFO guy, Rob Christofferson. Have you ever been curious about the UFO phenomenon, but unsure of where to start? Have you ever wondered about just what crashed at Roswell? Have you ever wanted common sense advice about licking UFOs? The answers don't. Then check out the Our Strange Skies podcast, where we dive into America's rich
1: UFO history and uncover what these sightings say about ourselves. You can find us on Apple
0: Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and most podcast apps, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Don't forget to look up, because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies. In gray we trust. All right, we're back. Now, some of y'all remember that this week, Matt and I went off independently and we researched separate topics. So I don't know what Matt's got, Matt doesn't know what I've got, and y'all don't know what either of us have. So what we're going to do, Matt's going to teach me about his topic, and I'm going to teach him about my topic. So Matt, why don't you go ahead? What do you got?
1: Okay, so tonight we're going to be talking about how to repair the screen on your broken iPhone.
0: Oh. Oh, no, wait. I don't have an iPhone. It's the wrong show. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So, no, tonight the topic that I researched is modern day Exorcism, sweet, yeah, sweet.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm glad you researched it because yeah. I wouldn't sleep if that.
1: Was. <laughs> Your mother so <sew> socks now. <laughs> 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 so, so yeah. So I I chose this topic because it's always been interesting to me. And as a child, a, a child, I had the uh, the distinct privilege of being allowed to watch The Exorcist.
0: Is it a privilege uh, or...?
1: Well, I know some people may consider it child abuse because I think
0: I slept in my parents' bed. For, you almost made me choke on my water. We almost had a spit take right here. Yeah, right. And I almost got it all over my mic. That wouldn't have been good. If you hear the.
1: That's Adam. That's Adam laughing and spitting yeah, water all over his mic.
0: me getting electrocuted. Don't worry um,
1: about it. But yeah. So, so yeah, I, I watched The Exorcist as a child uh, with my whole family and uh it scared the absolute bejesus out of me. I, I, I was probably, you know, six or seven years old.
0: I was a lot older than that when I saw it and it still did. And, and,
1: and to this day, the, the, one, the one part of that movie that absolutely gives me cold chills when I hear it is when the priest is listening to the recordings of Reagan. He's got a tape recorder in there and he's recording the stuff that she's saying because he, he doesn't understand it. It's in another language. And so he takes it to an expert to listen to it. And the, uh, the expert says, uh, it's, it's English. And the priest looks at him and is like, what? He said, it's English. And he plays it backwards.
0: Oh, wow. And that
1: just, man, that just gives me chills. I'm like, I give me chills right now. Right. Just saying it. I'm like, oh, that's so creepy. But, uh, But all of that stuff like you've seen in The Exorcist, um, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, um, The Conjuring, you know, there's The Devil Inside, The Right. All of those movies about exorcism. I'm not really going to go into that because I think most people that are interested in this stuff already have a grasp of what that looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, uh, this this demon possession of a human being um what it looks like i'm, I'm not going to go into a lot of description of that but what i'm going to focus on tonight is how it's done why it's done when it's done what is the church's view on it how do they approach it and and what the different steps are they do um to actually take it so um a couple of the stories i'm going to share are are fairly they're fairly creepy um and they're they're not something that you can just brush off. Right. You know, these things were were legitimate. They happened to these people. The cause of it was attributed to you know, demonic uh involvement. Um but sometimes that's not necessarily the case, but they couldn't find another explanation. Mm-hmm. All right. So Let's start out by saying, what what is exorcism? I, th- I think anybody that's listening to this show probably has a really good idea of what it is, but you may not understand all the aspects of it. Uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia defines exorcism as the act of driving out or warding off demons or evil spirits from persons, places, or things which are believed to be possessed or infested by them, or are liable to become victims or instruments of of their malice, so in short, it's a ritual performed by a Catholic priest to expel the devil from a person, place, or thing. Which kind of that sounds like a schoolhouse rock, right there. <laughs> you know,
0: I did never see that one. though. Get
1: the devil out of a person, place, or thing. You know that? <laughs> yeah, it'd work. It'd work. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring that back.
0: You should. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> uh, and but there are several types of exorcisms, not just the traditional one like we think of, when we, what we've seen in the movies. Uh, the first is a baptismal exorcism, which, to be honest, I had never heard of. Neither. I had never heard of it in this term. But the baptismal exorcism is the blessing of an infant prior to baptism to cleanse it of evil resulting from original sin. And the idea of original sin is that as human beings, we're born with innate sin. We're we're automatically imperfect as soon as we come out of the womb and we're already destined to be condemned to hell Mm -hmm. and we have to atone for the original sin. And this blessing prior to the baptism of an infant helps cleanse them of that. Um, The second one is called a simple exorcism, which I don't know that there's anything about exorcism that's simple.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that's what
1: they decided to call it. Uh, a simple exorcism is the blessing of a place or a thing to rid it of evil influence, i.e. a haunted doll, you know, <laughs> something mm-hmm. like that, or um, or your house. Um, you know, people all the time will, will buy a new house, and before they move in, they'll have somebody come, and they'll burn sage, and they'll say prayers and blessings, you know, to bless the house, to rid it of any... Uh, evil entity that might be there or bad energy, anything like that.
0: Sometimes that may not be a bad idea.
1: It's not a bad idea at all. You know, so and 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 folks that um folks that follow the the Catholic practice, um there's a lot of things like this that people do, especially around houses. You know, it's like I think it's been it's been a few years but I think it, if you're selling your house, you bury a statue of St. Christopher in your yard upside down or something like that, hmm. and it helps your house sell. So, you know, having an idea like that, you know, it, it, it you kind of understand why, you know, the Catholic Church would be the one that takes the lead on this. Um, so, my so house.
0: And I go to dig in the garden and I find a Saint. Christopher upside down. I'll just know I got jujued into buying that yeah. thing that I really didn't want yeah. to, but I was tricked into it by a saint.:
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Super. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I think it's Saint Christopher. I can't I, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think that's right. Um, the third The third type of exorcism is a real exorcism, and that is what most people think of when you say the word exorcism. You know the the person on the bed. You know, speaking in different languages. You know, throwing up pea soup, reading levitating. Yeah, reading a book. Yeah, reading a book, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> reading a book upside down. Yeah. You know that kind of stuff. Yeah, but that that is a real exorcism, performing the right of exorcism to rid a human being of diabolical possession. So, um those are the three main types of exorcism recognized by the Catholic church. How do you know that you need, you need some exercise (laughs) when, when that, when that belt gets a little too tight,
0: when I'm out of breath from answering the phone, (laughs) you
1: you need some exercising. No, um, no. How do you know if, if you or someone, you know, could be possessed by a demon and, I want to preface all of this by saying we're talking about demons. We're not talking about ghosts. We're not talking about your great aunt Tilly uh, spirit coming into you. And, you know, all of a sudden now you can make biscuits from scratch. Um, It's not that it's a demon. It's it's an entity that is not human, never was human you know, it's not somebody that died and their spirit came back to, you know, roam around a house or a cemetery. This is, you know, if you if you believe in this, this is this is an entity that's been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Oftentimes they're considered to be fallen angels. So they're smart, they're clever. And in the case of a demon, they're evil. And you know, they lie. And they cheat and they charm and they promise things that they're never going to deliver to get their way, whether it's just to torment somebody, whether it's simply to gain possession of of an individual or their home or an area. You know, they're, they're going to do whatever it is they have to do to protect their uh, what what they want to do. Mm hmm. So here are some signs of demonic possession. According to the church, telltale signs of demonic possession include speaking or understanding languages, which the person has never learned. This is different from speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is considered a sign of religious ecstasy, not possession. Right. So this would be the equivalent of Adam just off the cuff speaking German or being able to understand German without ever having learned German.
0: You know? Du hast mich.
1: Yeah. Or uh or me coming out, you know, just fluently speaking Mandarin Chinese and I've never I I wouldn't be able to know or recognize Mandarin Chinese if it slapped me in the face. But all of a sudden I can't. So this is what it's talking about. Knowing and revealing things the person has no earthly way of knowing. And a common thread in all of the stories that you could find about exorcism, uh, about a real exorcism, is that this person knows details about the person interviewing them or talking to them that they should not be able to know. Death of family members causes dates. Things like that.
0: Things that they shouldn't be able to know. So almost like psychic. Yeah. Yeah. You know.
1: Psychic, but with a really dark twist. Mm-hmm. Because again, you know, if an exorcist is communing with a demon, you know, to drive them out of of a house or of a person, um, that demon is going to use whatever it can to get the upper hand. And. Let's say this priest had a, a hard upbringing, you know, maybe, maybe his parents abandoned him. Maybe that's how he became a priest. You know, he was, you know, raised in an orphanage with, you know, by nuns mm-hmm. and decided, hey, a demon would use something like that. You know, your parents hated you mm-hmm. and your parents' names were Joe and Betty and Betty, you know, killed herself and all this stuff and just using it. But why would they know that? Right. And by knowing something like that, I mean, y- you think about it. If if somebody comes up to you and they tell you something that they know that you have a mutual friend that you're unaware of and they tell you something about yourself that they shouldn't know, it, it'll creep you out. Oh, yeah. Even if sure. this, this person, you know, could be totally innocuous and they go. Oh, yeah. That's like that time you went to that concert and you uh, you got left by your friends and you had to take a cab to, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, why do you know this story? Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, it, it, it puts you on the defensive. Well, and he, that
0: that's that's what the demon is trying to do. It creeps me out when people like know my name that I don't think should. Right. I've had that happen before right. where, you know, somebody will say, hi, Adam. and I'm like, how do you know me? You know, I don't. So right. I I could I could only imagine a secret or a bit of knowledge that yeah. they shouldn't know. Yeah.
1: You know what creeps me out is when people that people don't know my name that
0: should. That should.
1: Yeah. So like when you know when when my mom would come down the hall and go, "Larry, Larry, where are you? <laughs> mom, my name's Matt." Yeah. Well,
0: <laughs> My my mom and me out, my man. mom and grandma have a bad habit of ever since my brother was born. Um, my brother's name is Matt as well, and so they will. My name since he was born is Matt Adam, <laughs> and his name is Adam Matthew. Uh huh. So yeah, it. it I understand. Yeah. I'm Matt Adam.
1: That that's how it works. <laughs> yeah. Um, another one is physical strength. Beyond the person's natural, physical makeup. You know, so just being super strong, uh, that that's something that's played up in the movies. Um, and the last one, a violent aversion to God, the Virgin Mary, the cross, and other images of Catholic faith. Uh, faith. Uh, that's why crucifixes and holy water are very commonplace in, uh, in exorcism, in the rite of exorcism. Um, and oftentimes... For things like this, especially when it's related to a house and not necessarily a person, um, you know, holy candles, you know, can be used. You know, placing crucifixes around, you know, blessing the house with holy water. It's very, it's a very common thing for a you know a priest to offer. But one thing that they do make clear is these items are sacraments. They are not a coat of arms. They are not a shield to protect you from a demon mm-hmm. and it's a little bit of a misconception that if you if you pray if you believe you know if if you if your faith is strong enough if you hold on to that crucifix that nothing will happen to you but according to the experts that have studied this that is not true that demons aren't necessarily afraid of these items and they can be present when these items are present as well. So, you know, putting that holy water, you know, uh, through your, through your house, uh, burning that sage, um, hanging that crucifix in the hallway. It it may make you feel better, but it, it's not necessarily going to expel a powerful demon. You know, some of the, you know, the underling demons, you know, it may be effective against, but it's not always a way to, to rid yourself of a demon or to protect your body because unlike traditional hauntings of, you know, some civil war veteran walking through your front yard, uh, demons can hurt you. Mm -hmm. And we're going to, we're going to get into that a little bit. Um, but the Catholic church, um, they're the ones that kind of take the forefront of this because priests trained to be exorcists are the ones that perform exorcisms and, and they make no bones about it, that this is extraordinarily dangerous for an untrained priest and absolutely dangerous for an individual trying to communicate or expel a demon themselves. Um, so... Y- Going through a trained exorcist is truly the only way that you can effectively expel a demon. Um, and some notable people have been involved in exorcisms. In the book, My Six Popes, uh, Cardinal Jacques Martin reports that Pope John Paul II performed an exorcism on a woman in 1982. There are also reports that Mother Teresa underwent an exorcism shortly before her death in 1997 because the Archbishop of Calcutta believed she was being assaulted by the devil. Now, these are two extremely well-known figures, um, not just in the Catholic religion, but worldwide. I mean, I think most everybody would know who Pope John Paul II and Mother Teresa are. So, if they if they believe this, there must be something to it, right? Um, but it's not just it's not just the Catholic faith that focuses on exorcism. So I'm, I'm talking a little bit about exorcism in in Judaism, and and this is actually where it gets its roots. Um, there is no evidence of a man casting out a demon in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament things kind of kick into high gear. Um, Christ not only is seen casting out demons himself, he empowers his disciples to do the same in his name. In fact, Christ offers this ability to all believers. Now, Notably, this power is limited as the Bible documents instances where the apostles had unsuccessful attempts to cast out demons. And Jesus says that some demons can only be exercised through prayer and fasting. So, Um, to a believer, as we enter the new covenant or the new Testament, uh, two remarkable phenomena are recorded. The number of possessed persons in the four gospels is almost beyond counting. I mean, there are so many accounts of the apostles casting out demons. You you just, you, you, you can't get through them without it just being a a reoccurring theme. um, and among the evangelists, St. Mark narrates more cases of possession and of deliverance by Christ than all the other books of the Bible put together. Um, the second remarkable feature is the hostility of the evil spirits in the possessed person. Um, this hostility, we could say, is the began at the opening of Christ's public ministry when he was tempted three times by the devil. All the exorcisms performed by Christ were done in an instant. All he had to do was tell the devil to depart. The evil spirit left at the Savior's words. Um, not surprisingly, the possessed person, when Jesus uh, exercised them, were afflicted in some external manifest way. Uh, what's crucially important to understand is that the devil has the power to injure or harm his victim. As We talked about that earlier. You know, this is not. Uncle Joe's ghost hanging out at your house. This is an entity that can do you physical harm in the real world. Um, behind this is the mysterious providence of God who may allow the evil spirit to harm human beings in their mental or bodily faculties. Um, and another thing you know should be mentioned the the just the deluge of possessions which began with Christ coming into the world it just set a pattern for all the future time. So like I said, this is kind of where all of this began. You know, we can go back, you know, all the way to the new Testament. So this is where this idea of, of casting out demons in Christ's name, you know, comes from. It's where it originates. Um, so that's, that's kind of a background of where exorcism in, in, in Judaism in the Christian faith uh, begins. Let's, move back over into the Catholic Church um exorcism in the Catholic Church is is a real thing and just like everything with the Catholic faith there is there's structure to it mm-hmm. you know it's it's not something that's like well what do I do what do I do guess what we got a manual right we've got a written instruction of this is what you do you know, regardless of what it is, this is what you do, this is what you say, this is how you do it, this is how many times you repeat it, and this is where you go when you do it, all this kind of stuff. It's all laid out. Exorcism is no different. Um, there are three types of demonic activity for which the Catholic Church would recommend an exorcist. Number one, infestation. Number two is oppression. And number three is possession. And the last one, of course, that's the one that everybody really kind of thinks of. Um, so we're going to spend some time looking at the other two. Um, but in all of these situations, a demon will feel that it's it's gained something that it now has a right to. Uh, whether it be a house or an actual person, it doesn't want to lose what it's obtained, and it will fight to hang on to it. And so anytime an exorcist is going in with the idea that, There could possibly be a demon involved here um, in some manner. They know that they're essentially going into battle with the devil, and and that's the way they view it. So let's talk about infestation. Infestation is the situation where a place, typically a house or a building, has become occupied by a demon or demons. In many cases, an infestation could be mistaken for a ghost haunting, um, where objects move things are thrown you know voices are heard um,
0: so mimic poltergeist actors.
1: yeah i mean very very similar but remember it's not a ghost it's a demon so the idea is to to torment you know it's it's not hey i'm i'm catching lightning in a bottle by seeing something you know in my house you know walk past the door you know, this is something like, I want you to know that I am here because mm-hmm. this house belongs to me. Mm-hmm. And and that's the way they do it. And so when all of this really kicks up, it's, it's the demon exerting his force and power to say, this is mine. You don't belong here. So I'm going to get you out. And if I have to scare you to death, if I have to torment you and torture you physically, that's what I'm going to do because this house belongs to me. Um, The Catholic Church actually views hauntings as the spirit of a dead person that is in purgatory. But a demonic infestation um, is the actual taking over of, uh, of a place by a demon or demons. And the longer they're there, the greater this sense of entitlement becomes. So... Like I said, it's a it's an ownership and they're gonna fight for it. Squatter's rights. Squatter's rights. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Boomer sooner. You know. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, if you if you think about it, then you know, it that that's what they're doing. The next one is oppression. This is when a demon actually targets an individual. Now, it's different from possession in that they don't take over their body, but this is where the demon has attached itself to an individual Um, activity in these situations increases when the target individual is present. So it's not something that just the individual will experience. Other people around will notice things that happen, but it will all be linked to the one individual that the demon is attached to. You ever seen paranormal activity? Yeah. Okay. So as you go through that movie, that's the common theme. You don't realize that until you start hearing about the the lead character's past. Right. Uh, And she finds the photograph and all of that kind of stuff. So a lot of people will begin to think, this is, my house is haunted. Mm -hmm. Something's going on. There's something wrong with this house. Um, We got to get out. And so you move. Things may be quiet for a little while, but moving from a location is not going to remove a demon from you.
0: Right, if they're it's attached, attached to you, if
1: they're attached. And we have talked about this in past episodes, especially the Ouija board, mm-hmm. because if you're talking about Zozo, you know, who is uh, considered to be the Ouija board demon and and why you don't burn a Ouija board, you know, how you properly get rid of one, because an entity inside that's communicating through that board could attach itself to you. And then now you've got a new best friend and you don't even know it. Right. And except this best friend hates you,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. So I think if if you met your best friend for coffee and he came up and he kicked you in the groin, mm-hmm. you know, and then pushed you down and then like you know made fun of you for the rest of the day in front of everybody else. There you go. Your best friend might be
0: a demon. You do that to me. <laughs> what What are yeah, you saying?
1: You know, only on the weekends. That's yeah, true. Yeah, because the individual is a target, the demonic activity will follow them. And physical violence in the form of scratches, being choked, pushed down stairs, objects being thrown, etc., they're common in this, this type of demonic activity. And so, that leads us to the third one, the one that everybody knows, possession. And this is where the demon actually takes over the physical body of a living human host. Usually, it's done in order to torment or perform evil deeds. This is what most people think of when they hear the term exorcism. You know, it's what's dramatized in The Exorcist, uh, you know, the exorcism of Emily Rose and, and countless other movies. Um, this is what they're talking about.
0: It's The most dramatic form.
1: That's right. That's right. Um, it's speculated that many of perceived demonic possession cases are, however, mental illness, especially for possession. You know, the... Oppression and infestation, um, you know, they're harder to kind of explain away, you know, especially when you've got objects being thrown around your house mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You know, it, it's hard for somebody to come in and just go, oh, well, it's this or it's swamp gas or whatever.
0: Yeah. Ball um, lightning.
1: Yeah. You know, th- th- it's it's harder to do. Um, but in the case of actual demonic possession, you know, the individual is exhibiting traits that they cannot control um you know their their voice changes like we mentioned earlier the understanding languages or or knowing things that they shouldn't know so it it's hard to take this person and just go oh yeah you're faking it how do you fake knowing something that you shouldn't have mm. any idea about you know it's that that's impossible to right do. but mental illness sometimes can manifest into things that are very, very similar to what the Catholic Church views as demonic possession, mm-hmm. um, you know schizophrenia, uh, bipolar disorder, multiple personality disorder, you know those things can be so severe in an individual that's uh, afflicted with with those things um, they can they can really come out. In in these forms, whether it's violent outbursts, whether it's um, self-inflicted pain, you know, with scratches or or, or bruising, um, you know, it's really hard to differentiate just
0: on paper, which is which. A lot of skeptics say that a lot of uh, possessions are mental illness that is misdiagnosed. Right. And so I've got a theory about this. So let's go back
1: 300 years. And so you've got an individual that is completely acting out of sorts. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, they're, they're running around, they're tearing up stuff. They're attacking people. They're speaking in different languages. You know, they're, they're tormented. They're, they're doing all these things 300 years ago it was common to say they've been possessed. You know, the devil's got them.
0: Right.
1: You know, even as, as recent as the Salem witch trials. you know, communing with the devil mm-hmm. the devil is taken over. Or You ask the devil to attack this other person. Um, you know, it was, it was kind of a go-to thing because science had not progressed to the point where people understood mental illness. Right. You know, and, and mental illness is not a modern day problem. It's, it's
0: just got a modern day solution. Right. It's been around since human humanity. Exactly. First started.
1: And so, as we've mentioned before, when you don't understand something, you know, the explanations can come out of anywhere. Right. And, and that was a very common one. Now, if we fast forward to, you know, 2018, um, Mental illness has been, you know, widely researched. Um, people are more encouraged today to talk about mental illness, to seek help. Um, and the stigma behind it isn't there. Right. That, you know, was, you know, even, even 20 years ago. Yeah.
0: Not ashamed like they were.
1: Right. Um, so the world of psychiatry has for the most part, taking up a mantle of there's not really a such thing as demon possession. These are just untreated, undiagnosed mental illnesses, some quite severe. You know, and some individuals may be suffering from multiple problems. Uh, So they could be very difficult to diagnose. But as a rule, this is what they attribute demon possession to, that it's, it's, it's a mental illness, but not everybody feels that way. Um, Richard Gallagher is a working psychiatrist who claims to have witnessed firsthand a real exorcism and says he's been asked to consult on cases by priests from multiple denominations, not just Catholic priests. Uh, he also served as a scientific consultant for the international association of exorcists. Yep. They got a group. The IAE is a collection of exorcists and scientists who work together to investigate uh, claims of of demonic possession and how they should proceed. Uh, Adam Bly is a psychologist who works as a lay member for the International Association of Exorcists. Um, There is a documentary that was done by the Discovery Channel detailing several of Adam Bly's cases. Uh, Adam finds that too many people affected by possible demonic possession try to deal with it themselves. Um, He and the Catholic Church says that this is a mistake, that you shouldn't try to do this if you have any inkling that, that you or someone you know is possessed by a demon or is dealing with this, then they should seek help from a qualified exorcist, you know, which, you know, you can reach by, you know, reaching out to, you know, your, your local uh, parish. Uh-huh. And and they can actually put you in touch with um, somebody that can actually come and talk to you and meet you. And if an exorcism is warranted, you know, perform that. Um in truth, that's, that's a last-ditch effort. And like I said, Adam Bly is not a trained exorcist. He is a trained psychologist who has worked in conjunction with exorcists um, since about 2010. So he knows what he's looking at. Mm-hmm. you know. And, and people can reach out to him, and, and he, can, he travels, and he goes, and he meets these folks, and he goes to these houses, and, and he sees these things, and he does everything that's in his power to do um you know blessing homes praying with individuals and in one case um he uh he had a client named misty misty started to uh misty started to get into paranormal investigation you know kind of like me and adam Mm -hmm. except for the fact that we don't always just run around you know chasing ghosts and stuff but anyway Misty had done this and during one of her early paranormal investigations she saw someone using divining rods to to find high high levels of energy in the area that they were investigating and if you don't know divining rods are two little thin metal rods you they're they're bent kind of in a in a semi L shape and you hold one in each hand and you hold them out in front of you and you, you point them parallel to one another. And as you walk through an area with really high energy fields, they will cross. So it gives you an indication of where the energy is. And as we've talked about before, um, you know, the, the spirits have energy. And when you meet up with that energy, that's why the the EMF readers go up. That's why magnetic fields are found. Um that's why these divining rods will work. I'm to, a huge
0: skeptic of divining rods.
1: I know. It seems too easy to just sit there and just twist them in your hands and go, whoa, look at this. Yeah. You know, it, it's,
0: well, and all it is, it's been is around
1: a, a really, really, really long time. Know,
0: people use them, though, to find water and stuff. Oh, you yeah. Know? And it's like, I don't understand. And that's a topic for another show. But anyway, I'm just, I'm really skeptical about divining rods.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Um, but that was Misty's case. At some point in time, it was determined that something attached itself to Misty. And she began to have a lot of problems. She couldn't concentrate. She was, um, you know, having issues with, you know, anger and things like that. So for fear that this was what's going on, she she tried to handle it herself and was unsuccessful. And the, the feeling of dread, you know, was growing worse and worse. So she reached out to Adam, and, you know, Adam would come, and he would pray with her. He gave her holy sacraments. You know, he 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 showed her how to pray. Um, But at the time of the documentary, Adam had been meeting off and on with Misty for five years. So it's true that not all exorcisms not all these holy rites are are going to be able to work and and they they definitely may not work the first time um you know just because you cast a demon out today doesn't mean it's not just waiting for its opportunity to come back so in communicating with Misty she says I'm I'm feeling this situation coming back you know I'm I'm feeling the way I did before you know, I could feel this energy come into my room. And so I began the prayer. And she says, immediately, I felt the energy move quickly right behind me. And she's like, that feeling of dread was back. And so she she said she held tight and asked all the, the holy angels, you know, to come and enter her body and protect her and save her and give her inspiration, you know, to fight against this thing. And w- one thing that Adam said is, Never, ever, ever evil or good ask a spirit to enter your body. There is an an evil spirit is just looking for a way in Mm -hmm. and a good spirit has no reason to be there. Right. You know, so this is not a situation that anyone should ever attempt to to try to to take on a spirit into their into their body, good or bad. But it continued on it's continued on and she has periods of relief but you know Adam explains that this is just this is just how it's how it is for her that you know this is going to be a constant struggle because of what had managed to attach itself to her um he goes on to explain you know a, a priest trained in exorcism will attempt to remove a demon from a home or an individual by directly confronting the spirit commanding them to leave in the name of Jesus Christ. By performing the rites of exorcism, utilization of holy sacraments, holy water, crucifixes, and prayer, the exorcist uses these to drive the demon out. A priest may attempt to learn the demon's name. And Adam goes on to explain, in this situation, a prayer of expulsion is much more effective when an exorcist can use the demon's name because it's more specific. So, um, it, let's. If you're a believer in, in any faith, and and you believe in the power of prayer, when you sit down and you say, "Oh, please bless all the doctors that are at the hospital with my sick grandma, and please bless all the nurses that are taking care of her, please be with all the sick people," that's very generalized. And I mean, it's still okay, but I mean, it's it's generalized. So. You take that a step further, and you say, you know, a priest is like, "I command you, demon, to get out of this individual, out of this house, in the name of, you know, Jesus Christ, the Savior," and and goes through all that. It's it's still very generalized, but he he does go into one particular case where this family was was finding really strange things happening in their house. You know, they had, um, they would hear noises. You know, they could hear, they they would smell this horrible, horrible stench that they described as rotting flesh. And that it would just, it, it would inhabit this one area of their home. And they had a closet that had a light bulb that was hanging, you know, with the pull cord. They said, you could turn the light off go back in there, you know, a little bit later, and the cord would be wrapped around the light bulb or something strange, something that wouldn't just happen on its own. So they tried a little test. They went into the closet. The cord was wrapped around a bulb. They undid it, turned the light on and off, walked out, came right back in, cords wrapped around the bulb again. So something's going on. So in in attempting to help these folks, Adam goes in and blesses the house and things are still going on. And the, the man in the, in the, in the documentary whose house uh, this belonged to, he said, I just get this feeling. There's something living under the stairs and they show the stairs and he describes them as there's a space underneath their stairs that was boarded up. I mean, they said it, it, it's an obvious space, some people will put a closet door right there. And then you've got that little storage area that goes under stairs. They didn't have this. It was a wall. Hadn't been accessed as long as they'd been there. You know, it was just a wall. So they decided to bust through. So they bust through the wall. Now, this is a, if you can just imagine, this is an area under someone's stairs that's completely sealed. There is no way to get in here except to bust through this wall. And so they do it. And inside, they find one of their child's Legos. Now, how did that get in there? Right. But even more creepy is that they find a drawing of a demonic face and a name at the bottom, Moloch. And and if you do any kind of demonology study, Moloch is a name that you hear mm-hmm. very, very frequently.
0: Um, I've ran so across it, that name several times.
1: Yeah. So, uh, Adam new we have a name and so we can pray specifically to cast out moloch mm-hmm. not just a general prayer of expulsion we can pray directly to for moloch to leave and 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 we've mentioned this before there is power in names especially when it comes to demons and so when you learn a demon's name you've you've gained a foothold against them and so after the blessing and after the prayer, everything stopped. So, again, that's a story that you can't just explain away. Right. You know,
0: I mean,
1: for somebody to do that as a hoax, I'm like, you better know how to do drywall. No kidding. You know, I'm going to bust through here, hide this in there, and I'm going to seal it back up so I can bust through it again for this priest.
0: And make nope. it nope. make it not look like you had done that. Not happening. You know, I'm not doing it. I patched a lot of drywall in my time, and you you know that's difficult to make it not look like you put a big hole in it.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, the last story about Adam, Adam Bly, not not the Adam sitting across from me, it's not me. Is a is a case of Penny Miller. She's another amateur paranormal investigator, and Penny decided that she was going to go and do some investigating in a local cemetery. So she's got a recorder out there. She's got a camera. And she catches what she thinks is a dark shadow walking through the cemetery on film. And she rushes home to show her daughter Elizabeth. Look at what I caught on film. And Elizabeth confirms, yeah, that's exactly what this video looked like. They said almost the day after that video, she showed her that video funny things started happening in the house. And the most notable was that Penny's grandson, Seth, Elizabeth's son, who was autistic, began to have issues with his bedroom. He, he began to become terrified at night. He would cower in the corner. He would cry. He would scream as if something was in the room with him. And it got so bad that, Adam wouldn't, uh, Seth wouldn't even go into the room and that when they brought him to the house, he would just break down in tears and just this fit and would, would essentially just cry himself into exhaustion because he didn't want to go inside. So after this went on Elizabeth, the daughter said, I think it's time to call somebody. And so she was going to reach out to Adam, but said there was something telling her not to. There was some reason why she shouldn't or couldn't. And finally, it just, it got too much. She saw the shadow walk through her living room directly in front of her. And that was the last straw. She said, we got to get help. Something's here. So she reached out to Adam and, and Adam came. And the night before Adam arrived, a statue of an angel flew across the room at Elizabeth it smashed her cell phone and then broke into pieces mm. so when adam arrived he he knew that this was a bad situation right but not being an exorcist he was a psychologist and he's you know he's worked with exorcists but he's not a trained exorcist he did everything that he could he prayed he blessed the house um And it paid particular attention to Seth's bedroom. And when he was done, he said he could could feel that there was a lightning of the the air in the room, that it it felt still, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it felt cleansed. And Seth wasn't there when he did the blessing. And so while Adam was still there, They went and got Seth and they brought him to the house because they wanted to see what his reaction would be. Said when he walked into the house, he had a huge smile on his face and immediately ran to his bedroom and laughed when he walked in and got on his bed and started jumping up and down. Nice. And, you know, one thing that Adam makes a point of is that Seth is autistic and essentially he makes the statement that autistic children can't lie which is a, a broad statement, but what he means by that is autistic children have no reason to try to deceive. Uh-huh. You know, they, that's not something that they think about. So they're not trying to trick you or play a joke on you. You know, you know, truth is, is all they understand because, you know, subtleties of, of deception, the, they don't understand why. Why would you do that? Right. So they don't, and so his reactions were legitimate. And for him to come in that bedroom and to say, "Hey, everything is okay. Everything's better." Um. You know, whatever whatever blessing Adam performed when he was there, uh, it made it right. Mm-hmm. So, um, really, really cool stories about this. Um, and these are these are modern day. These stories occurred in 2016. Right. So two years ago, two years ago. And, and it's interesting to note that it is so common. That the Catholic Church officially has 10 trained exorcists available in the United States. That's nine more than they had a decade ago. Unofficially. It's estimated that the Catholic Church has somewhere around fifty trained exorcists in the US at any time. Mm-hmm. Okay. You you don't you don't put people trained in this, you know, out into the public if it's not a problem, if it's not something that you fully believe that is still happening to this day. Right. Um so as like I said, as of two two thousand sixteen, it's estimated that there are fifty trained active exorcist in the U S the Reverend Vincent Lambert um, who is a priest in Indianapolis uh, claims to receive approximately 20 requests per week for an exorcist 20 a week. You would think that that sounds like a number that a priest would have in a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And this guy's getting 20 a week. Now, understandably, they're they're probably not all demonic possessions. But it's out there enough, even today, that the Catholic Church recognizes it, recognizes that it's a problem, and has people trained to deal with it. So, you know, that right there just kind of makes you step back and go, wow, you know, this is not something that I ever thought that, it, you know, for a long time, I thought, this is just something that happens in the movies. Mm-hmm. This is not real life. This doesn't really happen. Um, but, again, I, I say this a lot. People smarter than me believe that it's real. Right. And I don't have the wherewithal to disprove them. Uh, I just enjoy learning about it. And right. uh, that that's why I chose this topic tonight. So, um if you've had any experiences with this, if um, if there has ever been a situation to where you you thought you knew somebody that could have had a dealing with a demon, or if you've had a dealing with a demon, I know I've got a friend that has had uh, had dealings with Zozo recently,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, and I tell him the same thing I'm telling y'all: get the f out of there, leave that dude alone. <laughs> Real or not real, you don't need to be messing with it, right? And that's kind of the the Catholic Church's stance on demons don't don't mess with these things. You know it it, it doesn't turn out well, right? So uh, now I'm going to put on my my learning cap, and uh, I'm going to hand the mic over to Adam.
0: All right. So mine's not going to be quite as heavy as Matt's is, but. My research into this this week, it took me down some rabbit holes, and I'm not going to go down every rabbit hole tonight because we could talk for six hours on this topic because it'll twist and turn and all that stuff. What I'm going to talk about tonight is tulpas. And I got to be honest, I don't know what this is. Okay, good. good, Perfect. (laughs) So I'm going to learn just like y'all. Good. It And it's not a plant. That's a tulip. <laughs> this, is, this is tulpas. Sounds like something I'd order
1: at the taco truck.
0: Yeah. I need a, a tulpa plate. And so basically the what a tulpa is, is it is a thought form that you have brought into existence. So the concept of. Tolpas. It stems from Tibetan Buddhism, where the word tulpa actually originates, and it's actually a verb for them. And it's a practice through which monks would primarily create a tulpa to overcome attachments such as phobias or desires. The monks would create entities, you know, possibly formless or really in any shape that they wanted to, you know, um, animals or people or whatever like that, and it would express something from the monk's mind. So, for example, if a monk had a fear of spiders, the tulpa created might have approached a spider fearlessly to show that there was nothing to fear, or it would demonstrate how pointless such a fear was. Alternatively, the tulpa might have spoken or expressed more abstract ideas. In either case, The monk would meditate on the experience and the Talpa would disappear once the purpose had been served. And it's also believed that groups together, groups of people, can either concentrate on a thought or just subconsciously doing it if they're thinking about something over and over and over again, and they don't know they're doing it, but it's always in the back of their head that this thinking could bring this tulpa into existence. So one thing we've got to understand is when thinking about all this, our thoughts have a lot of power. And we may have talked about this before, but they're, it's in all religions, And going back to the creation of man, that your thoughts have power. And they always tell you, you know, be careful what you think, because it can express itself physically. And this is, I mean, absolutely true in the case of tulpas. And according to mindyourreality.com, thought power is the key to creating your reality. Everything you perceive in the physical world has its origin in the invisible inner world of your thoughts and beliefs. To become the master of your destiny, you must learn to control the nature of your dominant habitual thoughts. By doing so, you will be able to attract into your life that which you intend to have and experience as you come to know the truth that your thoughts create your reality. So this gives a lot of credence to that belief that, and you you hear this a lot in the science news and stuff now, that your external is only your external because you thought about it. That reality doesn't exist until you think about it. You know, you, you think in the concept of particles, whether they're in one state or in another state, well, that all depends on if you observe it. You know, they're in both states until you observe it, and then when you observe it, it becomes one or the other. And this thought goes into, it can be broadened into actual existence, that this water bottle in front of me only exists because I think it exists, and in my mind, it is a physical water bottle that I can drink out of. This thought, there is a, I don't know, it, it's a philosophy called metaphysical solipsism, and it's there's multiple varieties of solipsism, but it's based on the philosophy of subjective idealism. Metaphysical solipsism Metaphysical solipsists sorry, maintain that the self is the only existing reality and that all other realities, including the external world and other persons, are representations of that self and have no independent existence. So the only reason Matt that you exist is because I basically created you in my mind if i'm think if I'm a solipsist. so it's a very self-centered belief
1: i knew a guy like that one time oh yeah yeah he he wondered uh if he was like do, you, do y'all actually exist when i'm not around yeah yeah he he thought like maybe people just people were there for his benefit mm-hmm. but if 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 he left if he left a party then the party stopped right um you know when he left school you know school wasn't really there people we weren't there we were just kind of like we we were reanimated when he was around mm-hmm. which i i think that's called megalomania
0: something like that yeah <laughs> and it, it but it's also that thought that you know we live in a uh projected reality a yeah. computer simulation so the matrix exactly now the 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 process of tulpamancy which is to create a tulpa it like i said it's been around Forever. Tibetan Buddhists uh, came up with that thing. And they used to create or they would have schools to teach the, the monks coming up how to create a tulpa and how to use a tulpa. And, you know, you for the first part of your studies, you had to basically create a tulpa apple. So you would meditate on an apple. And you would just meditate on this apple all day and think about an apple, think about its shape, think about its color, everything that is an apple. And your goal was to create an apple that you could hold. And there's a couple different types of tulpas. There's one, when it first starts out, it's only something that you can see. It's only something in your brain that you have created, but it's separate from your thoughts. So you give this so much energy and so much of yourself that it becomes separate from you. And the other one is one that takes it even a step further and it becomes its own independent being that can interact with the world. So you work your way up in this Tibetan Buddhist thing to where you can create Another living being, whether it be an animal or a person,
1: yeah, because you you can't just start out there,
0: right, right. Yeah, hey, I'm gonna
1: make this, I'm gonna make a tulpa dog.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna make me a, a a tulpa friend here to just hang out with me and all that stuff. And you have to imbibe it with thoughts and and feelings and emotions and everything when you first start thinking about it. How would how would it react in this situation what would it do in this situation so you have to put a lot of time and effort and energy into it and it's a lot of meditation that is required to do this but it's all from your thoughts and there's there's a story of a a group of tibetan monks that are are coming up and they're learning to do this and so like i said they start out on apple and so the, the teacher is, you know, talking them through the process of creating this apple. Well, there's one student, like there is in all classes, that think they're already to the advanced stage. So this one guy, the while he's supposed to be thinking of an apple, he is thinking of a dog. And he wants to create this Tulpa dog. Well... By the end of the class, sure enough, he has a Tulpa dog. However, without the training, he does not know how to control this Tulpa dog. So, you know, he goes back home and he's got his Tulpa dog with him. But then his neighbors start complaining about hearing a dog barking all hours of the night, scaring off their cattle, everything. And this is because the Tulpa without much training, it takes on your desires and your hatreds and stuff. He didn't like his neighbors. So of course his Tulpa dog does not like his neighbors. So it's basically tormenting his neighbors. And his neighbors didn't like him, so every time it came into the they came into his yard, they would hear dogs barking. Well, he didn't he wasn't to the point where he could create the physical tulpa where everybody could interact with it. So they didn't see it. They just heard there was dogs barking all the time. Well, this got back to the the monk, that the head monk guy, and he had to put an end to it. So he had to then meditate with the guy and basically draw this tulpa back out of existence to rid everybody from it because he was Not trained to do it. So it was basically, you know, when you create a monster and you can't control it and it's just an abomination, that's what this was. So anyway, they got rid of it and all was well. But who's to say he didn't go back out and do it again after he was kicked out of the school and all that stuff. But. Anyway, the, the idea of tulpamancy has taken on a different meaning now in the last few years because it has come back into the Western knowledge. But it has been changed from this idea of it is to help you through tough times or help you learn something, and it's now become more of a imaginary friend for people. There was a Reddit user who posted on a My Little Pony group about tulpas. And this yeah. Wait, are are we referencing My
1: Little Pony we in are, this show?
0: We are because it it my notes have it right here.
1: I think I think I think this may be the second time we've made it, a My Little may. Pony comment.
0: It may. But this guy posts in there about Tulpas and it starts this buzz in the My Little Pony Reddit page. And now there are a bunch of people trying to create My Little Pony Tulpas to be their imaginary friends. Not for any reason, not to learn anything, not to go off the traditional use for a tulpa, but just to have an imaginary friend. There are actually support groups on Reddit for people who claim that their tulpas are mad at them and that they're no longer talking to them. So we can see it's taken on a whole nother meaning now, right? If your tulpa
1: that you created won't talk to you, especially if it's a My Little Pony, then
0: maybe it's you. Yeah, you done something wrong, kid. <laughs> um, according to HowToLucid.com, this is their definition of a tulpa. And How to lucid is a lucid dreaming website to train you to lucid dream, but they have a bunch of stuff on tulpas. It says they can come in various forms and don't always have to be human. When you go about creating one, you also create a sort of home for them to live inside your head. They follow you around in your waking life, but they can also disappear to go to their home in your head. This means you don't have to put energy into interacting with it all the time. At the start, you'll need to really focus on thinking, what would my tulpa say in this situation? But as time goes on and you put more energy and practice into it, you'll find it takes almost no effort to hear and interact with your tulpa. It's like it's thinking and acting on its own. So that's what we were talking about before, where it becomes independent of you. So this thought form that you have created, you've actually given it life. You've breathed life into this thought form so that it has an independence from you and you can actually speak to it. And in the Tibetan thought, it can go out and speak to other people. And It can, you know, it can have a life all on its own, but it has to be connected to you still. It has to still have that home in your brain where it was created in order to exist because it draws energy from you. So you ask, how do you create a tulpa?
1: How do you create a tulpa, Adam?
0: Well, Matt, I actually have a few steps here. And this is, again, according to how to lucid. So step one is you plan out your TOLPA. Take some time to really think about what and who you want your tulpa to be. You'll find that after a while, they sort of change into what they want to be. And that's fine. But still take this time at the start to really think about how, who and why you want your tulpa to be. So, you know, it's like planning out a drawing. You want to plan out what and who it is. Step two, consider its beliefs and personality. This is where you embed its character in itself. Just think about what sort of personality you want your tulpa to have. Do you want it to be funny? Someone you can have a laugh with. This is all important to think about and will influence the sort of entity you create. So you want to make sure you don't create a douche tulpa. You know. (laughs) <laughs> you want to create a nice one. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You don't want one that you can't stand to be around, or that's going to get mad at you and not speak to you. You got like
1: a Don Rickles or Triumph the Insult Comic Dog, right? As your tulpa, right? Just that, that tells you how much you suck. That and would be st- terrible.
0: <laughs> in, in that case, you need to retract your tulpa and try to get rid of it and start over. <laughs> Step three: you practice speaking and interacting with it. Once you've got a clear idea of what you think it should look like and how it should act, you can practice talking to it. Give it a name or open your mind and hear it tell you its own name. The more you open your mind with this and be creative, the more you'll enjoy the experience. So, you know, if if it's to the point at this stage where it can tell you its name or it, it knows kind of who it wants to be, let it. This gives it more independence. This allows it to become more of a individual. So step four, practice keeping it in the background. This is where you'll make it more a part of your life. Practice just sort of keeping the thought of your tulpa in the background of your mind and thoughts. Whatever you're doing, try and keep thinking a little bit about your tulpa and imagine it's there with you all the time. Step five. Check it's really there. When you've been practicing manifesting your tulpa for a while, you'll want to perform a quick test. This test is to see if it's really there and can do things without you. If up until this point you've been putting effort into thinking about what and how it would react to certain situations, now is the time to stop. Lay back, close your eyes, and let your tulpa show you something. Don't ask it to show you something in particular. Just say, show me something random. So this is this is the point where you're giving your tulpa the independence to be and act on its own. So that's how you create your tulpa. So if, Matt, if you want to try it, try it and let me know how it works out for you.
1: Yeah. Can I make
0: something other than a My Little Pony? Absolutely. You can make whatever you want, man. This is, like I said, your thoughts have power, so you can make whatever you want. If you want to make a Grateful Dead tulpa, you yeah. could do that. I'll
1: make it Jerry Garcia
0: Tulpa. See, there you go. Yeah. There you go. You just want to make sure you know enough about Jerry Garcia to implant all that information into it. Now, there's a really well-known historical account of Mancy, and it was the experience of Alexandra David Neal. She was a Belgian-French explorer. When Alexandra David Neal journeyed through Tibet, studying all the different mystical techniques that happened in Tibet, one of these techniques was tulpa creation. And what it's like she said, it's like a fictional character of a novelist, except tulpas are not written down, is how she described it. So David Neal became so interested in the concept that she decided to try to create one. The method in involved was essentially intense concentration and visualiz- visualization. Sorry. David Neal's tulpa began its existence as a plump, benign little monk, similar to Friar Tuck. It was at first entirely subjective, but gradually with practice, she was able to visualize the tulpa out there like an imaginary ghost flitting about the real world. In time, the vision grew in clarity and substance until it was indistinguishable from a physical reality, a sort of self-induced hallucination. But the day came when the hallucination slipped from her conscious control. She discovered that the monk would appear from time to time when she had not willed it. Furthermore, her friendly little figure was slimming down and taking on a distinctly sinister aspect. So eventually her companions, who were unaware of the mental disciplines that she was practicing, began to ask about the stranger who had turned up in their camp. So this is a clear indication that the creature was now a more solidified imagination, and it was separate from just her own consciousness. At this point, David Neal decided things had gone too far, and she applied a different technique to reabsorb the creature into her own mind. The Tulpa proved very unwilling to face its own destruction. So it took several weeks for her to be able to reabsorb this Tulpa, basically. And it just left her exhausted after she did it. Now she was able to do it, but you know, it was a lot of work because it had taken on its own personality and its own will to live. It didn't want to be destroyed.
1: So it, it, if I'm understanding you right, this is something that could become dangerous. Right. If if it worked. Right. You know, you, you could create something that you couldn't you couldn't control at all.
0: Absolutely. And could do harm to you or others. Absolutely. Um it because at first, you know, you you put in what thoughts, characteristics, and everything that you think it should have. But as it becomes more of a real being living on its own and learning on its own, it can take on whatever thoughts or, you know, traits that it wants. And if it wants to become a negative entity, it very much can. Yeah. So it it's not something really to be toyed with unless you're trained. Yeah. And that's why they have the training classes in Tibet.
1: So... Uh- I, it sounds like if you're keeping score at home, you know, as an author would write and create a character on paper, that character is going to develop. Right. And you're going to learn more as a reader the emotions and the feelings and the personality of this character and how they change over time during events. Right. But this is different because. At some point, if successful, this thing begins to make its own choices. Exactly. And has its own experiences that mold its own personality without your interference.
0: Exactly. Okay. Exactly. It takes on its own characteristics and becomes completely separate from you and not what you intended.
1: So if J.K. Rowling had decided to make Harry Potter a tulpa instead of a book character... Mm -hmm. You know, we, we could have some whack job Harry Potter running around. London, right.
0: Right. You know, yeah, he would have, <laughs> you know, he could have taken on the characteristics of Voldemort instead of, yeah. you know. Now, remember, I said that a group could basically accidentally create a tulpa if they were subconsciously thinking about something. All right. Now, let's get into a little thought experiment. Let's open your mind a little bit and let's delve. Oh, this is gonna be. Fun. Let's delve into the world that Adam has lived for the past week. Okay. Now, if the world is told a story, and they know it's a story, but enough people are thinking about this story, and they feed enough energy into this, what happens? Okay. So, in two thousand nine. A man named Eric Knudsen, on a creepypasta forum, created an internet meme, and it was on this forum called Something Awful. This meme was Slenderman. So then we have, he becomes the winner of this meme contest. So then it goes out there into the world, and there are creepypastas about Slenderman. Okay, so people are talking about Slender Man. People are thinking about Slender Man. It becomes a creepy story that you tell around the campfire and it it gets into people's consciousness. And so people are thinking about it. Now, in 2014, two teenage girls lured a classmate into the woods and stabbed her 19 times all to please. Slender Man. So that didn't go by. They were, you know, they were charged and everything. But we now have a lot of reports beyond that of people encountering Slender Man out in the real world when they're in the woods. They see this man with no face, tall, really long arms and dressed in a suit. And is it possible that the world has created a Slenderman Tulpa that is actually out there, tormenting people, luring children in, causing them to do stuff, and we created it without knowing.
1: And you know the uh, the creation of the video game mm-hmm. only pushes this even further, right? Because how many stories have have been put out there where these gamers that go for hours and hours and hours on end this this video game this world inside this screen has become real to them mm-hmm. it's it's become their world they 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 live within it right and
0: so now you know, you've the, got that idea people. yeah
1: that this this video game This idea is, is real to me Mm -hmm. because I spend so much time within it. Right. That inside my own conscious Slender Man is real. Right. And this is, this, this is just my gateway into the world where he dwells Mm -hmm. and we open up the door and now Slender Man is in our world.
0: Right. And if you think about the number of people that play these games and the number of people that are reading the stories and everything all combined, feeding energy into that one thought. If one human being can create a topa that then becomes externally, you know, making choices outside of their mind and affecting the world, what can thousands of people do with their thoughts? Could it create this Slender Man? So on that note, let's take one step further. Okay. In knowing what a Tulpa is, could Bigfoot be a Tulpa? Is it possible that this is neither an alien being that people think it is coming down from a ship, nor a old primate that we haven't discovered, but it's actually a tulpa that we created because from way back in Native American societies and any other societies in other countries, they have thought of the primitive ape-like hairy creature that attacks their villages and everything. And just through our thinking about it and our pushing and making Movies about it and telling stories about Bigfoot and everything. Is it possible that Bigfoot is a tulpa? Could we have created a Bigfoot tulpa? You know, it's very possible if we're looking at what a tulpa is and the fact that subconsciously the human race can create them.
1: Well, that is some real food for thought. Right. And I didn't know we were going to get this deep. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that it it. Again, if if you believe in the potential to do this, it makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. You, know,
1: I, I'm, uh, you know, the Loch Ness Monster yeah. is another that's, one. That's
0: actually in my notes, was Nessie. Yeah. You know, it, with enough stories, with enough thought. Any cryptids, werewolves. We did an episode on werewolves. Werewolves could be a Tulpa creation, Tulpamancy, from unknowing participants because it's been planted in our subconscious and we think about it all the time. So I think really that's a good place to leave it for tonight. Like I said, mine's not as long and not as deep, I guess, as yours, but it did go pretty deep. Oh, it got deep. So <laughs> I need my boots. Right? So <laughs> what? No. what I want to know, you know, is... Let us know in the group or email or whatever. Do you think it's possible that Slender Man does exist now through tulp, unknowing mancy? Do you think a cryptid such as Bigfoot could be a, a talpa creation of man because we have thought it into existence? And what else do you think could be or has the potential of becoming a topa Because we think about it so much. So on that note, we hope that you enjoyed (laughs) this episode and that maybe our discussions drove you as crazy as the research did us. Oh, yeah. So like I said, I've spent a week thinking about this stuff. And that's why I posted the other day that I think I'm going crazy is because I have been thinking about this for a week. and. And Adam's Tulpa kicked over a flower
1: pot last night.
0: Apparently that may be what it was. Because I'm thinking about Bigfoot and Slender, man, that could have been a hairy, really tall, long-armed, no-faced Bigfoot man Slender thing. In a suit. In a suit, kicking (laughs) over my flower pots because I was thinking about the stupid thing for days.
1: He looks like those cavemen from the Geico commercial.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Man, I create weird Tulpas. (laughs) So we thank you for joining us tonight, and we hope that... You enjoyed it and you'll enjoy it enough to spread it to the world. Tell your friends about it, you know, tell everybody about it. Um, If you're inclined to give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, that would be a lot of help. Um, Come join our Facebook group. Like Matt said earlier, you know, get in there and let's have discussions.
1: Yep. And if you're new to the show, thank you for finding us. If you've been with us, you know, for a while, We appreciate you continuing to listen, and I think that's a wrap.
0: That's a wrap, brother. We'll see you all next time.